Real estate photography and retouching with photographer Barry McKenzie is now available on our streaming platform at proedu.com. Or you can download it. You, you could stream it and or download it. It's up what to you, you. What do you like about this tutorial? I like it because Barry is going to give you the workflow to get in and out of a house in a little over an hour, maybe two hours. So you can do three to four of these houses per day mm -hmm. and make bank. He yeah, teaches you exactly a right. really quick retouching workflow. So, you know, Barry was actually, you know, as a real estate photographer, if he's doing three to four of these a day, he's making more than 100 grand a year on real estate photography. And then if he can do three of these in a day or four of these in a day, he's got time and money for all the pizza he could ever have. All the wheels. And he calls them wheels. So. And so, how does he eat them, Gary? Uh, in one bite. He smashes he them. He smashes them. Smashing wheels with Barry McKinsey. Barry Mc, he was also the real estate photographer of the year in multiple years. Did you know that? No. Yeah. So he's like the god of real estate. That's a hot secret. That's a hot secret. If you want hot tips from Barry McKinsey, click on real estate. You can now subscribe and get access to all of our tutorials at ProEDU.com. Welcome to the ProEDU podcast, where Rob and Gary talk and drink with your favorite photographers. So grab yourself a cold sarsaparilla and saddle up. In this episode, we're sitting down with the only man who hasn't cried during the notebook with Ryan Gosling. <laughs> <laughs> Philip Bloom. Philip, thank you for joining us. You cried? Oh, like, like, like a, a little... baby. But Kerry cries at everything. I cry Max a lot. Am I allowed to talk spoilers on this? I, mean, I think so. The film's been out long enough. But yeah. I was like, okay, obviously that's them. So clearly they don't die until later on. I bet they'll probably die at the end. Oh, yeah, yeah. there we go. <laughs> <laughs> Phil, I'm, I'm obviously referencing a, a part of your new uh, series you came out with on... Uh, uh, with master uh, a master class with um, you want to talk about that yeah that, that whole series so um, MZ the American company who've actually yep. asked me to do like a tour around America that uh, Vincent Afray's done Shane Hulbert Alex Bruno which is like 50 dates across America I'm like oh my god I did a a 12 date tour around America like in 2012 and it killed me it's like the third one it's like <laughs> Groundhog Day hell and I said no but then they said uh, last year or the year before ever thought about doing a, we want to do a record, proper, proper filmed masterclass. All the stuff they put out before has been recordings of their yeah, yeah, conferences. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so we want something that's been properly filmed. And I was like, yeah, no, it sounds like a lot of work. And it was, and I'm glad I did it. It was six months of work, um, a lot of filming, even more time in post-production. But they initially just wanted me to do something about drones. And I said, mm, why don't we do something that covers everything, which I totally regretted. So it literally covers everything as far as I'm concerned to get people started so and what was it uh, like sitting down and like writing that content how did you even know where to begin uh it was brainstorming with uh my friend Mike who produced it and like what do we feel it should be um we wanted it to be a journey starting with the basics knowing all of your why we choose certain types of cameras why we choose certain codecs then through to choosing the lenses then through to how you move the camera and then more complicated stuff as go along with audio and lighting and slow motion and time lapse and drones and then final the penultimate episode was putting it all together to actually make a story a real documentary based upon all the things you've learnt and then the final one was how to put it all together in post That's so it was really supposed to be content. a, a yep. real like um kind of plug and play you know we wanted yeah, i wanted to it started. to literally be something you want to see all the way through right. so it has a beginning middle and end it was a a story of filmmaking yeah. how you start and how you put it together, and then how you... Yeah, so. yeah. 
There's yeah. a decent amount of photography education out there, but when it comes to film, there's just so many more moving parts. Yeah. You basically just add a zero to the budget. On a, a couple of zeros. Just what you need yeah. to get going and the crew you need. So Yeah, it was supposed to be six hours long. It ended up being nine and a half. So it's just like, oh, this is going to be bigger than I expected. Honestly, I'm surprised it's that short, given the amount of things to teach. Yeah, you but know. I really condensed it down into you know, like hour-long mm-hmm. episodes. and An episode which would normally take me a day to teach in person. I was able to really get it down to everything. Because sure. if I told that in person at a, at a sort of workshop, people would be like, oh, slow down. What, yeah. what are you talking about there? So it's, I think it... It works for that, but it's not something you ever want to binge. You right. want to watch one episode and then try it. Right. And then watch it again and go, okay, I haven't quite, uh, I understand what I need to do. Yeah. But yeah. And we've tied it in with lots of live every, every week, more or less, for the past four weeks. We started doing lives based upon an episode for the Facebook group. And so they can ask additional questions, um, which they've got from the series, on based upon that episode. So we just did one on slow motion. And uh, they you know, elaborating on certain things, and then hopefully we'll do a second course at some point where we go much more in depth. Yeah. So once you that's sort of the beginners ish, and then go up up a notch. But you said you regretted doing this all at once. I regretted it when I started doing it. Uh, I regretted it when I was in post production, <laughs> and I ha- I was on episode one, and I was like, oh my god, and this is episode one. <laughs> I regretted it two months in when I'm on episode uh, five. Right. And then when I finished it, I was really happy I did it because yeah. very proud of it. Did you find any of the gear or anything you were using to be out of date or updated no. since? That's the thing it? is it was essential that I didn't make it camera specific. Never talk about camera brands or camera models. It's about um, the, the core stuff. Mm-hmm. So whilst I never talked about this is how you set up your A7S or this is how you do this because that is too dated. So it had to be, you want, this is why you it's choose. It's also personal, uh, too, depending yeah. on what you want to do is going to be yeah. how I don't want people the camera. Yeah, I don't want people to be put off because, it, you know, we use a certain brand. But we do use different things. We use GH5s in it and right. big cameras and small cameras. I really didn't want people to be, um, I, di- I definitely didn't want it to be dated. Honestly, you seem to use everything. I, and there's almost no technology that you don't touch. I'm kind of amazed at that you have the time, that you find the time to keep up with so much and try so many different cameras yeah. and, and different <coughs> pieces of equipment. How do you fit that in your life? Uh, with difficulty? Yeah. Uh, you know, it, it, it's, it's fun. I like new technology a lot. I get excited when I see something really interesting. And, and cameras haven't really been super interesting in their developments for a while. I think since we sort of, we've got our DSLRs and then we've got our 4K and then they're getting better. And they've kind of like plateaued a little bit. Mm-hmm. And so there's not a huge amount of excitement for that. But then there's other stuff which comes along. And you go, oh, that's quite interesting. I think drones are probably the one over the past, certainly the past three years, which have exploded, hopefully not exploded, but yeah. sort of exploded on the market. No, they have. It's amazing. Yeah. Drones are everywhere these days. Yeah. Well, I'm surprised you haven't got one flying here for a, a, top, <laughs> a top-down shot of us. <laughs> Good idea. It would blow the polar ridge around. There's, the yeah. distance is too, is too short. It would blow everything off the table. Yeah, we'll get the silent drone at some point <laughs> as well. The so stealth drone. You've been creating content for the better part of almost 30 years. And mm. the last... 10 years, I would say you've just completely been a, a, one of the solid voices for, you know, new gear reviews, content. Um, everyone has kind of like gone to you to, to understand like what's coming out and why and how to use it. How did you get to that point? Like, how did you, was that a, was that a conscious decision to become that person? No, no, not at all. It was a case of when I went freelance, which was about 11 years ago after doing 17 years uh, staff for a British TV company. 
I, uh, I had a website and I put up my showreel and my contact details initially. And then a year later, I picked up one of these 35 millimeter adapters, which uh, was a precursor of DSLRs and large sensor camcorders to, to trick these small sensor camcorders into having 35 millimeter optics and stuff. And they were really cool. But getting information about it was really difficult. It was all across these forums. And I thought, you know, what? I'm just going to share my experiences. I tried this thing called a blog. And that's what it was. I was just like, I share my experiences with anybody who wants to um, learn from my mistakes. That was basically how it started. And that's literally, there was no, there's never been a plan. It's, I've just shared stuff. I wanted to share stuff to help people out, not make screw ups. Is there, a, is there one video that you can trace it back to that kind of, you know, put you on the scene as like something as viral as like something like Reverie that Vincent Laferay did or was, was it just a culmination of everything? Yeah, it was certainly had the stuff beforehand which helped uh, build up an audience. But certainly when I did my first 5D Mark II video, uh, like Vincent's, um, which was uh, called Fierce People, which I did in 2000, May 2009. So Vincent did Reverie in November 2008. Mm -hmm. And then um, I did my one. And um, I was very active on the blog and doing lots of things uh, with the Canon DSLRs. And that helped build the audience up a lot. You know, it's a very different audience to now. Most people get their stuff on um, YouTube. For, I mean, there is literally thousands and thousands of reviewers out there. Um, in fact, my mum started a review channel for cameras now, which is surprising. <laughs> Did, she really? Did she really? No. No, oh, God. That's, that's sarcasm. No, you we should do, have said we do yes, that here. Should. Let's keep going with that. We're going to edit she that could out. Do. <laughs> she could do. She could. I might get, I'll get, I'd rather get my dad to do it. Um, you know, like, get the camera and go, that'll turn it on. Well, don't want to use that. End of review. <laughs> It'd be so much better. Hopefully, he still gets sent loads of stuff, and then I'll get to take it off of him. But, um, I mean, blogs are, I mean, people still... Uh, how, you know, most of my, I think most of my activity these days tends to be on the social media, on Facebook or Instagram, Twitter, mm, not so much. Twitter seems to be a place I just repost stuff on Instagram. But um, there's a lot of, uh, Instagram has a lot of, uh, it, a lot of people comment and there's a lot of engagement on that. Same with uh, with Facebook. But it's it's a strange thing because it's, you know, it becomes... The great thing about the blog is it's really easy to find stuff and look back and see things, whereas the so social media you know, it just disappears and people don't really look and don't really search on it. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't really come up on Google searches when you've know, done something on Facebook. It doesn't, it's not there. Yeah. <coughs> so it has to be on the blog or on YouTube and stuff. People find it. But YouTube videos are just exhausting. <laughs> I watch people and go, how on earth do you have the energy for that? It takes me two months to make a review video but I take a long time because yeah. I, I really want to know it properly before I start explaining well you test it thoroughly though you have yeah. to yeah otherwise it's like I've had this camera for um, 35 minutes and so here's my right. in-depth review of why I think it's the camera you should buy <laughs> yeah yeah based on 35 minutes yeah including unbo unboxing it yeah <laughs> I haven't actually used it yet because the battery's still charging but it's totally the camera you should buy <laughs> You, you have an interesting mix of work, um, and one of the things that, that I think is really interesting about you as an individual, um, you'll take on huge projects, yet there's no project that you feel is too small. Um, you, you seem to, to run the gamut. Uh, what is it you still enjoy about some of those smaller projects uh, versus the larger ones? Smaller ones are way more fun because you're much more hands-on, much more creative, and you can do things that you... I mean, you don't get tend to get paid for them, but yeah. uh, they're... 
you do them for the, the 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 creative outlet the more the bigger the project you do the less control you have over it and more stifled you may feel mm-hmm. um but of course you do you know it's good to get those jobs because it's good to get to do something of that qu- that size and scope uh, but then you want to go and do something just for yourself afterwards right. so i think it's important to, to have a really good mix if you just do big stuff all the time and then or if you just do small stuff all the time i think it's, you know it's also mixing genres trying to do different things mm-hmm. don't just stick with i mean documentaries what i mostly do but it's important that i do other stuff commercials or corporates i think it's good to mix it up and even the odd narrative fiction when i can face doing those i i enjoy them when i'm shooting them but i don't enjoy any of the people i hate pre-production so <laughs> that's a big part i have no patience i have no patience for it do you have a producer that takes care of all the, the, your pre-production uh on the big projects yeah i mean like on the uh the wonderless series it was just i had nothing to do with organizing it nothing to do with permits nothing to do with setting anything up it was a joy mm-hmm. you just turn up and you know what's you know what's gonna you're going to do and you know what the plan is for the things and you you know you talk to them beforehand saying anything you we should get like you need to get this and get this um but it's like, especially with um, permits for drone flying around the world, which is the worst <laughs> thing to, to try and do paperwork-wise. You know, yeah. they did it, and it's like, thank God for that. Well, let's <laughs> talk about that project a little bit more. How, what is it, and how did it come about? Um, so that's the uh, Wonderless. That was for CNN. Um, it's finished now. It's cancelled. Um, uh, I think Trump cancelled it, really, because it was for CNN, and it's a news channel, and they had... The third season was all finished. Uh, I had to stop working on it, actually, because I put my back out, so I had to stop working on the third season uh, after we just started it. Um, But then they had the whole thing all shot, all edited, and I think it was like a year before it went out because they didn't want to put any of the hour-long episodes out in case Trump said something or they wanted to go to breaking news, which they've got their biggest viewing figures since he came and became your president. And everybody tunes in for the, the car crash that's going on. Yeah, and every we, day we're just like it can't next? possibly get well, worse. It's not only every day; it, it is literally, as you say, hour by hour. And it, it's a, remarkable to hear yeah. that a news organization didn't want to have an hour-long show no. because the president's so insane. Yeah, well, it's you know, to be fair, it's a news channel. I I spent a long time working for a news channel in my early days, and so I understand that they want breaking news. They, you know, that you commit to even a half-hour documentary show, and something happens. What do you do? Do you crash out of it? Yeah, yeah. Depends how big the, sh- the thing is, but they tend to. Um, in amount of times, you know, we'd see, even when the show went out, you'd have these massive banners go over the program, ruining your beautifully composed shots with uh, what the latest <laughs> has happened. And right. It's like, oh my god. Yeah. So, it's a shame. I think it's a show that would really benefit from being uh, online, without interruptions. People could watch. Um, but yeah, it was. I mean, it's. I started working on it. Twenty. 14 maybe I think they yeah they approached me via email and said we have this series that we're interested in making um we love we love your work and would you be interested in shooting this and I was like sounds really good I'm actually going to be in New York next week why don't I come and have a chat with you and I did and I said so what do you want from it they just wanted to look really cinematic I'm like yeah that sounds good to me mm-hmm. and it's traveling the world going to these really cool places sounds terrible I'm like okay that sounds all right to me and so that's really how it came about. And it was, it was really a blank slate for what they wanted. And so I, I threw so many toys at it. I was like, you know, we could use the drones and the gimbals. would be cool. And uh, some slow motion. The only thing I didn't get to push was 4K. I pushed for 4K from day one. And, uh, oh, well, I can't afford that. I was like, 
oh, you really should because then maybe when you know Netflix approach you, you've got 4K seasons, which is I think actually what ended up happening. They were approached, and because it wasn't shot 4K, mm-hmm. Netflix didn't want to buy it, right. which is a shame. Right. And there's even it. specifics about the 4K that they'll accept, correct? Yeah, it needs to be of a certain quality for sure. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's no Netflix shows which are shot with Ari Alexas because they're not 4K. Even yeah. the mini's not true 4K. So that's why they've Ari are making the, the Netflix edition essentially of their cameras because they need that's Netflix insist you can shoot a Netflix show on a F- Sony FS7, but you can't shoot a Netflix show on an Ari Alexa, which uh, and they used to shoot huge movies and. Game of Thrones and everything, which is amazing. But yeah, 4K, um, I've always thought was essential for shooting the show, but it wasn't um, done by them, which was a shame. When you're mixing so many different types of equipment, so many different cameras, do you worry about um, kind of blending all that footage together, or do you just allow it to be what it is? And when you're doing that, do you just make decisions on the fly, like, oh, you know what, I need to switch to this right now? Try to make things uh, match as much as possible. Mm-hmm. So you'd shoot log, um, on the cameras that have log, you use color ch- color charts, you know, as much as possible to give the colorist a hope. But then you'll always have GoPro thrown in there, or, right. or the drones won't be of the same quality. And that's where you need a, a good post production house who can deal with it. Um, so that's the great thing about working on that show was I didn't have to worry about that. <laughs> you deal with that. <laughs> You're seeing it. I'm not going to gonna match that. You guys go ahead. <laughs> For myself, obviously, I'm like, oh my god, I'm going to have to match all this. They did it. Um, the first season wasn't so good because they didn't have the money to get uh, a colorist. They thought they did, and they really? ran out. Um, must have been my expenses. Um, second season, <laughs> they had a budget for... They increased the shooting time by in literally uh, twice as many days for shooting the episodes, because wow. I, it was way too packed before. And never any time to organically find anything on location. It was all pre-produced in New York. And so you have an interview here, interview here, interview here, and then you'd end up meeting somebody out there who's got a fantastic story which adds so much and you're like oh we can't talk can't to you we it. haven't got time how many days of like a production does that normally run and what do they give you so the shortest we did for it's a 42 minute program so broadcast mm-hmm. hour the shortest we did was three days which was ridiculous yeah and and I think that's on the first season and then the longest we did on the first season I think it was like six days and then that's you know, that, I'd say that doubled. On average, it was 10 days for the second season, which was about right, really. Mm-hmm. Enough, half of it was pre-planned and half of it was organic, and it made a huge difference in the show. Much, much better show. How did you put a bu- budget together for something like that? Were you in charge of coming <laughs> up with those numbers? Did you Good have- God, no. <laughs> he just turned in the expense board at the end. <laughs> they, no, no, I told them, this is how much. They made an offer, and I made an offer to them, and they're like, there you go, and then that was it. So, God, I hate budgets. I can't do that. That's a producer's job. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No. But um, some people like that. It's not, I, I just do the creative stuff. I hate anything to do with producing or anything to do with that. Some people really enjoy that, and that's great. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm a terrible businessman. I'm terrible at organ- I just like, yeah, that's fine. You do that. Um, yeah, that's fine. I'll accept that. Let's go shoot. But budgets, yeah. And also with TV, you don't really have much of a budget. Not really. It's, you know, it's a very small crew for that show. And, and their uh, timelines are short, too. T- yeah, very short. There's a lot of money spent on post-production, though. They did spend six weeks editing per episode, which is a, a pretty long time mm-hmm. for a 42-minute show. But uh, yeah. 
I, I would know. imagine though that, that working under those conditions and having you know a limited time really um, helps prepare you in many ways for a lot of the other filmmaking that you do. Yeah, I mean, I come from a news background, so right. it made it was it was it was relatively easy for me because I'm used to working very very fast. Right, and, and finding that story. Quickly. Yeah, finding the story quickly, walking into a room, knowing where we're going to put people, where I'm going to put the lights, not faffing around. Do you have the word faffing? You know, we learned it two days ago yep. from another Brit. Yeah, um, we had not heard it, and we are in love with the it's word great. faffing. Yeah. Faffing is what too many people do. Well, I I did a um, <laughs> I did a short in Chicago a long time ago, and most of the crew was from Columbia, you know, mm-hmm. uh, film school in Chicago. And the amount of faffing from them was ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> they was like, you know, trying to get anything done took about eight people to faff. I'm like, and eventually <laughs> I just like, stop it. I'm going to go and do it. I was like, can you just make that turn that light over there, just a bit more, bit, you know, bring it up a stop. No. no. Okay, I'll go do it. And then making notes of like camera settings and F stop and like, what do you need that for? It's not a film camera. Don't worry about it. Right. It's all in the metadata if you want it. So, um, yeah, <laughs> amazing amount of faffing from film school students. <laughs> and me, I'm just like, let's roll. <laughs> I need to shoot. That's part the other thing about fiction is I need to shoot like I'm shooting documentaries. I'm, I'm always ready to go and I hate um, the long, long waits for things to happen, you know. Mm-hmm. For, you know, 45 minutes an hour to, to reset positions and and lights. I'm like, oh, God. And that's very much what fiction is, planning, waiting, getting yeah. together, then rolling. Yeah. So that's, you know, I really love, you know, very small crews, very fast um, way of working. And in, in, in fiction as well, it, actors love that because there's no sitting and uh, waiting for the next scene. They actually are always going for it. Mm-hmm. So... You work as both a director and a director of photography. Mm. When you're when you're DPing for somebody else, is it hard for you to take your director hat off? Do you ever work with directors who are like, God, this guy's a boob. I gotta, I gotta do something different. I'm trying to think the last time. That ha- no, I, I haven't really had that for a, a long time. Yeah. I think the worst I've ever had was actually on a. It was a corporate shoot with actors, um, and the director. Wasn't the best director for this, uh, and that he wasn't very good at working with the actors. And there was one actress; she was um, she kept on fluffing. Do you have the word fluffing? Uh, yeah, else. but I think it means something it very means different. No, it's, it's, it's not, it's not a, a porn <laughs> film thing. Yeah. No, 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 no. Fluffing is like messing it up. Fluffing her okay. lines. She yeah. was fluffing her lines, and he was getting visibly and verbally impatient with her, like uh-huh. starting to snap a little bit. And of course, she was getting worse. Right, she buckled. And to the point where she was um, in tears. And she was about to walk off the set and go home, which would have completely ruined day. everything yeah. because she's um, she's in the wide shots and we of this scene. It was the last scene. It was the last scene, at least of the thing in this boardroom. And if she disappeared, we would have completely. So it was like I. That's the only time I think I've actually stopped something. And so I basically said, I've "Got a real problem with the lights right now. Can you hang on a second? And I got something to, to fiddle with the light, and I just pulled the director aside, just talked to him, say, she's going to walk away. We need to just calm down. Calm down, and you know, it's the only time I because it, it, it's crossing that line with you know, yeah, it's, it's not it's my not jo- it's not my job right. to do this, but I saw that this was sometimes you need to actually say something privately, not in front of everybody. That's the last thing you want to do. Mm-hmm. So you don't want them to be um, feel. Uh, humiliated or whatever um, so you made I made up an excuse to stop I, I I went over to him quietly and just pulled him aside and that was 
and we managed to get through it. So did he get it? Yeah, totally. He yeah. got it. He realised exactly. Was he appreciative what of you, of you I th- doing that? I think he was. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's the way you do it. If you say if you do it in front of everybody, then yeah. that's that's not going to go well. How much are you working as a director of photography versus directing? Well, when it's the, the sort of corporates, generally these days it's both. So, um, but when it's uh, for TV, I could just be director of photography. Uh, I haven't done just directing actually for a long time which I think I'd like to do yeah but it's do you like it yeah but I love touching the cameras and playing with the <laughs> cameras and stuff it's really really yeah. hard uh, not to do that and it's also hard to find somebody you completely trust in uh, I do have a couple of people who I do trust to shoot with me and so it's finding somebody who's, who's in tune with you mm-hmm. I think that's why you have a lot of directors who work with the same cameraman because they they have a relationship. Yeah, You've got to have that relationship with um, each other. So you, you don't have to completely explain everything that you want to do. They just get it. Do you have a solid team around you that you've been working with for a long time? Yeah, a, that, a, a, few, a few people. Yeah. So, but it's, um, it is important to have that. And the same when you with sound guys, you know, working with sound recordists. Um, sound recordists is actually one of the most important uh, relationships to have with freelancers. Yeah. Because the good ones are so busy. If you want to make it in this business, become a sound recordist because you'll get loads of work. Um, there's, everybody's got a camera these days, but nobody buys audio gear and is really good at it. And so, and good you, video is not good without. You don't know audio, the sound is you know. bad until you get into the edit. Yeah. Whereas if you've got somebody who you know you get a gaffer, you can see quite clearly they're no good if they're right. doing it. And obviously, with a second shooter, you need to have that trust as well. So. Um, yeah, it's teamwork is essential. Um, letting go is essential because don't forget, if you're doing it all on your own, everything is compromised. Your audio, your light, your operating, your directing—it's all compromised because you're doing it. All, you can't possibly, especially as a dude, you cannot. I did it for you, dude. We call them, <laughs> we call them men, but as a man, you can't a uh, multitask at this sort of level. It's just impossible. Right. So, how are you out there winning work? Are you? What's your marketing strategy to, to get the jobs you want? Oh. Um, so when I, I guess when I started, it was a lot of looking and doing everything. Uh, any job that was offered, I took it. But now um, I don't work anywhere near as much as I used to. I don't get paid anywhere as much as I used to, but I am much happier because I'm able to be much more selective and choose the jobs that I want to do. And, you know, I think it's... that's I don't seek out work. I tend to have enough people coming in. Yeah. Uh, which is which is fine. Keeps me running, ticking along just fine. But uh, I guess at some point, it's probably you know I get to the point where I actually want to do something quite different from what I'm doing, and challenge myself. And then I might reach out to people I know who are working in that sort of thing and say, "Is there anything uh, that I could do for you?" Mm-hmm. And then that might happen. So I think it's really important to always think about stretching yourself. Never just like um, just coast. Mm-hmm. The moment you start doing that is the moment you start falling out of love with this pro- un- not a proper job at all. And you probably start sliding backwards too. In your when you yeah. become c- complacent, I don't think you put as much into it. You will also be more miserable because you know if you don't, you know, I've done some really crappy jobs where I've always put everything into it, and you could easily just like do the minimal amount of work and then. Then you'd be miserable anyway, though. You'd go back and like, what a crappy job that was. What's one of the crappy jobs you had to do? Oh, I'm not going to tell you. Well, <laughs> I mean, I've Don't done... Don't tell us I, the client, I remember but doing, the I did I had to do something for, for an insurance 
a company and they wanted me to, you know, needed to get some shots of their call center and I turned up and it was five people. I'm like, wow, okay, <laughs> five people. Not much of a center. That's pretty hard. <laughs> and, you know, I made it look, I think I made it look really good and I was really happy at the end of it. And I went home and I felt happy because I'd actually made something good out of something bad, which is actually the most fun. Anybody can film, go to a beautiful location and film it and make it look good. Mm -hmm. But you come to a room like this, and I told you you've got to do 10 interviews in here and you've got to make them all look different. Now, if I, if I have somebody who does that and they, they do that, then that's, that's good skills. Mm -hmm. That's what I always find. And I actually thrive on that challenge. Back in my news days, um, I remember be, having to do some uh, work out of the Westminster office, the, the political office, and you do so many interviews on on the uh, on the landing outside the lobby in at the office. So many, you'd end up doing like twelve or thirteen a day. Well, yeah, yeah, and it's like, and you'd see them. Everybody would see it'd be the same shot, and I'm like, oh, no, I need to make every single one look different. So I'd use longer lenses, different lighting, positioning, and. I, you know, I really enjoyed it. I don't think I could have done it every day, mm -hmm. but every now and then I'd go down there and I, quite, I really quite enjoyed that. But I think it would drive you nuts at the end. I think <laughs> if I did it for like six months, I'd be like everybody else, like, no, just stand in front. <laughs> top, put a top light on the camera. I don't care anymore. How much time do you get to spend at home versus being on the road? Uh, not, it's pretty good. So I would say until about uh, a year ago, I used to spend about nine months of the year. Um, abroad mm -hmm. but now i think it's less than six months but now which is much better i think it's nice more of a balance you gotta have time at home yeah, yeah definitely it's essential you, otherwise if you just work all the time that's another thing i don't really want to do when it comes to these big fiction projects is spend too long away from home so uh, you know some of the documentaries i remember getting an offer and i couldn't do it in the end but it was six months away for a documentary show i was like that's a long time away from home I don't think I'd really like that. Well, you're still spending six months on the road. What are your... What are yeah, your but it's broken up, though. Over. How do you stay sane on the roads? Because that's, that's way too much for me. Like, I'm totally a homebody. Um, I hate traveling, but I like getting there. I like it when I'm there. That's by far the worst part, is the traveling. Mm -hmm. So, um, I guess you just... What are your travel hacks? Do you have any that just no, make traveling? No, I'm the worst traveler. I'm the worst, <laughs> I'm the worst packer. Um, I end up way too much stuff. Uh, I, I'm not good at all for that. But, um, yeah, so I don't really have anything. Do you have a go-to airline? Yeah, uh, well, I do. For I think it's I tend to stick with British Airways because you guys are actually not so bad because you have, you have a much more generous baggage allowance in America. And if you go to America from europe you always have you can always bring two bags minimum whereas in europe um and the rest of the world it's generally one bag for just if you're going economy which you try not yeah. to do it's like one bag and then <coughs> and <coughs> excuse me and then so it's one bag and then generally lots of airlines charge you per kilo which is ridiculous mm -hmm. british airways charge you per bag which is makes it reasonable i mean the most expensive excess baggage i've ever had I think was like five thousand pounds. Oh, good lord! <laughs> One <Were> way, <laughs> yeah. I mean, we did have some flak jackets and stuff like that, which are heavy, but yeah. it's, a, it's a kilo, you know. Right. So I remember going to. Uh, I had a job in Australia, and this was actually with CNN. And I said to them, "You need to book me on British Airways. Don't book me on anything else." And I gave them 
example of why. And I said, if we, you tell me Qantas, where, or Emirates, this is, the baggage allowance is 40 kilos, and then it's like 35 pounds a kilo. And I am oh taking, God, per kilo, I, 35 pounds Yeah, per and kilo. I'm taking excess luggage, probably about 130 kilos. So you do the mathematics, and this is how much it will be. Whereas British Airways will give me three bags and 60 pounds per extra bag. So you'd be saving, you know, thousands. So I would recommend going British Airways. <laughs> yeah. Can you talk about the projects you're working on now? What does the next year look like for you? I just started working, or about to start working on a, a documentary, uh, which I can't talk about, but it's gonna take me through to uh, October. It's, gonna, it's not a huge amount of filming, but it's a developing story that I will be revisiting over the period of time, ending up in South Africa, I think, which is where, it'll, which will be good. So. That's something which is nice. It will trickle along nicely. And then I see what pops along, really. Um, I've got still some... I, st I do speaking engagements and stuff. I'm going to Italy in a couple of days, which will be nice. Change from... Birmingham? Birmingham, <laughs> yeah. I never come to Birmingham. Yeah. Nobody goes to Birmingham. Yeah. 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 We, yeah. we found that out. <laughs> <laughs> On the way over here. We actually made the decision to come here about two weeks ago. It was kind of last minute. And we were telling... Everyone were going to the UK. They're like, oh, that sounds awesome. London. I was like, no, we're going to Birmingham. They're like, ooh. <laughs> Good for curries. <laughs> That's the best thing about Birmingham. The curries are the fantastic. But other than that, it's like, uh, and you're not even in Birmingham at NEC here. It's like, this is a, a yeah, bubble. At, this right. is, you could be anywhere in the world here. We've been at the airport four times now because we have to go through the airport to get to other, else, yeah. another hotel. <laughs> Do you really? <laughs> yeah. Oh it's so God. weird just hanging out at the airport. Yeah, this like is a weird Meeting place. up at another hotel it's via the airport. depressing going to airports and not flying. Uh, right? Actually, right. Yeah, it doesn't feel right. I hate no. it. Oh. So, so I have that and then uh, going to Vegas again. Uh, NAB. NAB. NAB yeah. But taking some time afterwards to uh, enjoy a bit of California drive up the coast. San Francisco and nice. I haven't done that for many years so I quite fancy doing that and then I'm going to China for the first time uh, for the first time very first I've been to Hong Kong but I've never been to China so wow. of all the places in the world the biggest place I've never been to is China and so going there it's to promote the actual masterclass because it's been translated into Chinese oh great and it's been selling well there so they, they want me to do some promotion so I'm going to mm -hmm. three cities and uh, also going to Hong Kong again so that's I'm looking forward to that because I think it's going to be a very different experience to anywhere else I've been. How long will you be there? About nine days, I think, oh, in good, total. So you'll get a good look. Yeah, but it's nine days across four different places. Mm -hmm. So I definitely would love to have gone for longer. But it's right. It's not long after the trip to America. And also I'm going away on holiday uh, in May. So it's all right. I, otherwise, I would have stayed longer because I really want to explore it. Mm -hmm. But, um, oh well, give me a taste of it. Okay. So. Uh, where do you like to go in the world? I mean, you've seen so many places, except for China. I mean, where are some of the places that you really gravitate towards? It's pronounced Gina, Rob. Gina. <laughs> oh, yeah. Thanks. That's Thanks. an abbreviation Drum. for something else, yeah. isn't it? Um, oh, you know, obviously, home is the best place in the world when you've been mm -hmm. traveling because there's nothing. Look, you can stay in fantastic hotels, but they're generally just one room, and, you know, right. I have a house and, and cats, and right. my life is like... When they're going to have hotels that actually have cats that come with the room, <laughs> that would be so nice. That would be cool. My I would stay there. My family would love that too. <laughs> yeah. There's actually a little coffee shop in, in our town that has cats in it, and you can go and have a coffee. Yeah. And cat, their cats cruising around. I feel sorry for the cats who are just like used in this in this way as a marketing they're, they're scheme. Like, you know, <laughs> it's a bit. You know, they're like, who are these people? Why am I going to sit on their lap? I don't want to sit on these weird people. <laughs> but yeah, so I mean, I love that. But I also, I mean, 
I've been going on holiday to the same Greek island for three years now. And I never thought I'd go back to the same place. Mm -hmm. But I found it just the perfect size and the right mix and the right food and the weather. And so I really enjoyed that. I'm going, I did a documentary actually in January and uh, to help out a charity. And then I'm going back in May for a holiday. So I like that a lot. But um, I love France. I'm half French. My mum's French. Mm -hmm. So I love France a lot. I love you. I think that's what my favorite thing about living in London is Europe is so amazingly everywhere so close yeah it's all accessible two hour flight you can get pretty much everywhere and um i did live in uh in america for a little bit and it was like everything well you have individual places which have a real unique vibe to them but then there's a massive chunk in the middle and oh, I, yeah. and it was like to get anywhere that's really different really different is you know six seven hour flight away and same with australia uh, Australia is really cool, but it's like, oh my God, to get anywhere different, it's like a 10 hour flight away. Mm -hmm. You really are isolated. And whereas here, you know, I could drive over to uh, to France and I could be in three different countries within two diff two hours yeah. by driving, which is amazing. And three very unique And incredibly too. different. Yeah. Whereas, you know, I did remember having an American friend come with, it was like his first time out the country and he came to Europe and we went to Paris, south of France went to the Italian Riviera and I think he kind of liked it but he was making jokes about um, what's that place in uh, in Orlando Epcot Epcot, Epcot Center yeah. it's like yeah but Epcot has all this and they speak English or they speak, <laughs> no they speak American Orlando they, also, he said. they also have corn dogs there so go ahead I and know. try something I different it's <laughs> not, they have the Eiffel Tower there but and in Vegas they have it yeah but it's it's not the Eiffel Tower no, it's a replica <laughs> but they don't understand me when I'm in the restaurant yeah, so that's all right, isn't it? <laughs> Learn a bit of French. Figure it out. And that's what's, you know, but they it's putting them out of their comfort zone. It was certainly his comfort zone. He didn't really like that. Yeah. If your um, comfort zone is Epcot Center, we've got <laughs> a problem. Dude, that's, I think that's so much of America. Yeah, you know? it is. He's too far away from Applebee's. Oh, I, I need, I need <laughs> no, a Chili's to go always within that's reach. That's We have beaches. Is Applebee's still we, we have oh, mountains. Yeah, unfortunately. We have forests. Why do I need to go anywhere else? And that's you have to if you can't explain how different a culture is yeah. and how important it is to, to experience that, then well, well, I think everyone should be forced to live outside of the United States. Oh, for my two God, years. yeah, it's the best experience I'd, ever. Yeah I, yeah, I did two years abroad after with the Peace Corps, and that was far better than any education that I possibly could have had. Yeah. Just, just the outside perspective of how people view America, because um, when you're traveling, you know. It, you spend two weeks somewhere, you don't really get to see the culture. You know, you're yeah. tired from traveling. You don't really get to understand the language, the food, the people, hear the stories. Yeah. I know a lot of Americans who do. The ones who travel, they travel a lot. Once they've started, got they the tend boat. to keep on doing it. Like, right. oh, my God, I'm going back there. Right. I've got to go there. I've got to see this. got to see that. And I think that's great. Yeah. I think it's... You know, it's like it's, the Australians. They travel the shit out of the world. Yeah, but have you been to Australia? They need to get away from it. It's, <laughs> it's, as I say, it's just... Yeah, it's a massive massive wasteland in the middle mad max land yeah. uh with incredibly hot places along the coast yeah. and it's like it's amazing it's beautiful um but then you also work wise it's it's you know not a great amount for certainly in my business i remember when i started at, at sky back in the late 80s it's an Aust uh, rupert murdoch's company mm -hmm. so everybody was australian and it was like you know, it was, that was my first experience of Australians, actually. I was like, blimey, you're interesting people, aren't you? <laughs> uh, you're very different to us. And uh, so I was, I was saying, so who's left? If you're all here, who's over there? <laughs> and I went, not many. 
but um, yeah, they, they travel a lot. So um, I think I think it's really important to, to travel and experience things. Um, I think another thing is Americans don't get when they don't travel is they don't realize how young America is. When when I lived in London, I lived in a flat that was 350 years old. The building was 100 years older than our country has been a country. You know, America's a really young place. It doesn't have a deep history. No, it doesn't. Really. Especially anywhere outside the East Coast. Yeah. Yeah. You, you know, have some 400-year-old buildings in, in the East Coast and stuff. But we do uh, have Branson, though. We have Dolly Parton Land and Branson. Yeah, right we get that. <laughs> We've got corn dogs and <laughs> caramel corn. Yeah. <laughs> no, we certainly have our history here, for sure. Oh, yeah. And, no, I love that. I love the fact that we have everything super, super old. I have a pub uh, near me, which is, like, I think it's London's oldest pub. It's been going, like, 800 years or something stupid like that. You yeah, could sell amazing. the Blooming Onion. Think about it. Yeah, <laughs> is that that thing from Outback? Yeah, yeah. yeah. oh the my god, the that's the, 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 the in quote marks Australian restaurant. It's yeah. about as Australian as uh, me if I put on this accent, mate. <laughs> right. Yeah, it's not in the slightest. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> let's talk gear for a little bit. Earlier, sure. you mentioned uh, there haven't been exciting developments recently, or we kind of hit a plateau. Mm. If you were to make your own camera, uh-huh. what would what would be the features? What would be the sensor? What would, what would be it? Everything included. So what I'm waiting for right now, and it's actually there was uh, some Chinese company called Kinefinity who've just like just recently have announced a camera which is a full frame video camera, which is what I've been waiting for since the 5D Mark II, and that's going to come out I think around October. That's what I'm, I can't believe Sony haven't done that yet. Yeah, yeah. They have the sensors, and why are you still sticking? They to make the sensors. They must be. I bet they're bringing one out soon. Yeah. They have to. But it's the one thing that I'm like, come on. And people are saying, yeah, but then Super 35 lenses won't go on. And I'm like, you can crop in. It's fine. You make a camera that's 6K or 8K, and you can crop in on it, and it's fine. So that's kind of what I'm, I'm really interested in. High frame rates are cool. Dynamic range is great. Raw needs to be more manageable still. Um, but, yeah, sensor size, I want that full-frame video sensor. But nothing too big and heavy, because I hate that now. I just want yeah, my smaller cameras. Really yeah. So that's a re- that's um I've got their Terra 4K which is a very similar body and it's like three and a half thousand and it's amazing for what it is. It's like it's like a, a an affordable red. Hmm. So there I mean that I think that camera's probably interested me the most recently because it's the most daring. There's too much conservative uh, conservatives what's the conservatism? Confer- yeah. Conservatism in camera Can manufacturers. They really aren't pushing things at all uh, the only really interesting feature i've that's really helped me recently is canon's dual pixel autofocus in their c200 they've really implemented it well for documentary interviews it's been amazing to yeah. actually be able to shoot in a really shallow depth of field and just like touch the screen and it will 100 percent stay on that perfectly no matter how much somebody moves in and out and that if you're doing interviews Right, because as I said, you know, if you're doing everything, something is compromised. So if you can't physically operate the camera because you're in interviews, you're going to have a deeper depth of field and not necessarily have the shot that you want to. But if you can have the the technology help you, then like, oh, that's fantastic. And then you use a camera which doesn't have it, and you're like, oh, my God, I have to try and keep this in focus myself. (laughs) So that sort of stuff is is really useful. Um, But... You know, I've been to, I go to a lot of these trade shows and yeah, it's cool to see the stuff, but you're like, you know, you you talk to them and say, well, why don't you do this? 
I went to I did I went to Japan uh, last year. Sony took out uh, a few of us uh, to to talk to the engineers and the management to give us uh, tell them they wanted our thoughts about stuff where they they should be going. And we just we asked they asked what are the problems with our cameras or what do you want to see. And every response we got was thank you very much for your feedback. We'll take that under consideration. And I was like, oh, blimey. And they implemented none of it. <laughs> oh, I don't know. It's too yeah. soon. We probably yeah. will. Maybe it will come out. And it's like, I really hope you do. Uh, yeah. Because it will be great. Um, you, you know, you have meetings with these companies and you tell them what you'd like to see. But a lot of it comes down to business. Of course it right. does. You know, if they, you tell them, especially when it comes to the smaller, cheaper cameras, like the mirrorless stills cameras, you say, oh, it would be great if you could this have this. But you know very well that they have the issue. That if they did that, then they would sell less of their video cameras. So you've got to be realistic about it and not, you not get too bothered about it. It's just a tool at the end of the day. Right. Pound for pound, cinema lenses are, are finally becoming more affordable mm. from a lot of manufacturers. Where where would you invest or suggest people to invest their money if they want to uh, get a set or primes or zooms? Say, so I have two cinema. No, I have three cinema lenses. Two of them I've had for a while. They're, they're converted from still lenses. Uh, but I recently got two Fujinon MK lenses for E-mount. And because they're actually affordable. Like, they're like three, three and a half each, which cinema lenses is actually, for zooms, yeah. is actually pretty cheap. Um, my issue with cinema lenses is they're great if you have somebody who can pull focus for you. If you don't, you're going to have issues because most of them have a 300-degree rotation on the focus, which you try and do on your own. Good luck with that. <laughs> uh, you know, if you have a, a follow focus, it will help. But I think cinema lenses are very much, should be used for um, your controlled shoots much more than Running for the documentary or stuff mm -hmm. like that. Whereas these Fujinons have a 200 degree rotation, which is actually, and they deliberately put that in because they said it's the right balance between barrel operation and follow focus operation. You can use both perfectly well and they're right. And I'm able to use it for documentaries beautifully. And it's finally nice to have zooms because, uh, you know, I come from a video background and I've been so used to big video lenses, which, right. are, you know, you can zoom in, you can get focus and you can pull out to anywhere you want. It always stays in focus, proper par focal lens. And then you start using all these SLR lenses for the large sensors. And it's like, oh, my God, you have nasty focus. You have, <laughs> you know, you zoom in, it's gone out of focus. Like, oh, my God, it's a nightmare to operate. And then suddenly to have a proper lens with proper mechanics. And it's really nice. Yeah. It's just the biggest problem we've had is they're not being affordable. And they're also really heavy. If you want that sort of range that you want, it's like, oh my God, how heavy and how expensive is that? But um, I don't know. If you, there's some interesting makes out there bringing out some fast primes. Um, but uh, I haven't really played with too many of them. I mean, Sigma are pretty interesting with their lenses. Um, yeah, we've been talking to a lot of people about Sigma. Yeah. Yeah. Really, that, that company has had such a turnaround. They're, they're nothing like what they used to be. And they're, they're making beautiful glass. Yeah, I mean, I have a lot of their SLR lenses. They are line yeah. um, which are the same optics though as their cinema lenses but uh, a quarter the price that's the one you know if you want the mechanics but then you don't have the autofocus which if you have a camera like a c200 you want as well so there's always a toss-up there's no there doesn't exist a lens which has got great mechanics and can use autofocus if you want to i know a lot of people are quite snobby about autofocus but i think once you've tried it and it works 100 percent, you're like oh and even for just general b-roll it's like when I was filming this documentary in, in Greece um, in January, it was like I'd frame up a shot and I'd be like, normally you'd find 
find the focus. So I just touched the screen on the thing I wanted in focus. Bing. There you go. But the other cool thing is if you are using cinema lenses on a camera like that, which doesn't have autofocus, it does have markers on there, two green markers, and it will show you what's in focus perfectly without you having to worry about it. It's mm-hmm. really incredible technology. But, um, yeah, so it's there's lots of... I mean, Sigmas tend to be the most affordable, interesting... If you, and the problem is with the Fujinon ones, they're E-mount. So if you don't have a... A Sony camera, you're a bit screwed with it. So. Is it difficult for you to travel with all that equipment? Because so, so many countries, it's it's hard. You got to have the right car. Now, if you don't have like, everything in in order, you can really run into some trouble. Yeah. So with Wonderlist, it was Carnet, and they wanted me to do like an annual Carnet to save mm-hmm. money. I'm like, well, yeah, but that ties me into specific gear. specific gear for every yeah. country. And I did talk them out of it because a lot of countries we couldn't take drones in. And so you can't have an annual carnet if it's not going to be the same. So you have to do it for each individual trip, and the paperwork is just a nightmare. Lots of countries don't do it, but if, you know, t- I try to, you know, if it's a country where it's going to be too much of a nightmare, you try to bring the minimal amount of gear and just fly under the radar if you can. Mm-hmm. But uh, just realize if you do get caught, you're going to end up potentially having it confiscated. What countries can't you bring drums into? Oh, loads loads of them I remember um, I've never been refused entry because I've always known beforehand whether you should take it in or not but um, God I remember in India this wasn't to drones but I went into India and you're supposed to have it all approved beforehand and have letters from blah 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 and my producer hadn't sent it to me he said it'll be in your email when you arrive and it wasn't there and I arrived at Delhi airport I had nothing to show the customs guy I was just held there for hours. In the end, the guy felt sorry for me. He said, if you can write a letter. No, he wanted a bond. He wanted like a, a $3,000, $5,000 bond. I'm like, I don't have $5,000 yeah. on me. And if, uh, even if there was an ATM, again. it's like a $500 a day limit. Right. And like, I might be here a while <laughs> to withdraw it. <laughs> and he said, can you get anybody? And could you get anybody to give you the money? And like, how would they get here? Well, they'd have to fly in. I'm like, that's not going to happen. And so I was like, oh my goodness, what am I going to do? And he, I, it was bizarre. He actually said, if you just write a letter saying you promise not to leave any of the gear here, I'll let you through. Wow. Which was really he bizarre. He was generous because that, yeah, that, that he didn't normally have to do would that. not happen. No, yeah. I did write, I promise, 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 <laughs> hand on heart, um, <laughs> that I will not leave any of my gear here. I absolutely promise. Cross my heart, I hope to die. <laughs> <laughs> Cheaper than a carne. Yeah. Hmm. yeah, that's cool. So what's next? Sounds like you've got some some traveling coming up, going to NAB. Just got holiday coming. Got up, holiday. Yeah, yeah, so Italy will be nice, and staying on for a few more days after that. I try to to, to do that when I go away on foreign trips. I try to try to um, build in a few more days to enjoy without the work. Instead of going somewhere that you, you know you really, I haven't done that in Birmingham. I haven't booked myself out to experience Birmingham for an extra few days. <laughs> I decided that I didn't need that. Really? But so, for so Italy, so Italy, I'm <laughs> yeah. doing that. For NAB, I'm doing that. And holiday, uh, obviously, it's going to be nice. So yeah, uh, but yeah, it's I, there's a lot of travel coming up in the next two months, which I like and don't like. So yeah, I'm looking forward to actually June when I stop traveling again. Uh, be at home a little bit more and enjoy the English summer, which actually can be really nice. Yeah, English summers are really can be really nice. You don't know; it's yeah. a gamble. Yeah. <laughs> you, if you have anything you want to do outside, 
shoot wise or even social wise you don't plan it until the day before pretty <laughs> much you do that if you have a barbecue and you say to your friends uh we uh, confirm it uh, we'll just confirm it the day before just in case because we're on islands and we get such weird weather at yeah. times so but it's, 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 it's the biggest problem is with shoots and you know, talk about budgets you try to price up how many shoot days you have for a project which will be filming outdoors and you know you're going to have to build in a um, lot of weather delays yeah. yeah and also a b plan if it keeps on you've had that you know we we need to do a shoot and it kept on raining so we need to really think about this one time i ended up literally changing location completely to a, a, a foreign country like four hours flight away because this is not going to work wow so yeah it's it's tough you know you guys you know if you're in california you tend to be okay and you can be pretty st- pretty stable most of the time but uh yeah in, on an island like this yeah, we, we get hit with all sorts of weird weather <laughs> so well philip it was great to meet you yeah, and finally, we've been kind of following you around all these trade shows, trying to make it happen, and it finally works. So we in Birmingham, yeah, yeah. In yeah. Birmingham. there you go. <laughs> yeah, what a shock! Yeah. yeah, thank you for sitting down and talking with yeah. us. We appreciate it. Absolutely, very much. Thank appreciate you very much. the time. It was it was great to download this episode and all of season seven. Go to rggedupodcast.com. And where can people follow you online? Where do you want people to hit you up at? Yeah, so you can go to my website, which is philipbloom.net. I couldn't get .com because some eye surgeon has it and he wanted $5,000 for it. And I said, no, <laughs> forget it. And on all social media, it's at philipbloom. And there's one L in Philip. Um, that's how you can find me. And check out your MZ class. That's mz.com. Uh, or yeah. go to, I've uh, got a shortcut for it. It's go p, gopb.co slash mz. Boom. There, there it is. There it is. And MZ is the Z is the word, not it's not just the letter. Yeah, like mm. you guys say it here. Yeah, yeah that's weird. you say Z. Don't it's confusing. Don't we don't yeah. know why you add two more letters to a letter. Yeah. Do we? Yeah, it's Z. And you I think you, you guys have problems with vowels. <laughs> you tend to miss out vowels a lot. That's true. Spellings. Amer- Canadians do it right, but um, you guys seem to have a phobia. They say process. Of vowels. We say process. Yeah, it's all different. They say yeah. process too. They do. That's what I'm saying. Canadians say process. So your schedule is now over, is it? (laughs) Yeah. You know the word schedule? We did it. (laughs) Yes. We've now freed up. This was the grand finale. Got to break it down and get out of here. Yeah. But we're going to miss Birmingham. It's going to be so hard to tear ourselves away. Have you had curries here? Yeah. Last night. Yeah. Where'd you go? It was great. Uh, somewhere downtown. You guys remember downtown? We don't have downtown there in was Birmingham. Down- <laughs> <laughs> we don't have any downtown. Where's well, a good place to get curry here? Because we're going to go tonight. Oh, uh, like, Gilardi. We went to last night. J I L A D I. Oh, oh, so you went? Yeah, yeah. we were, we there, were there last night. We were there pretty late. Like I was not there. Midnight? Yeah, were we there? I think yeah. that's why we didn't see you. We yeah, were only there till yeah. about 10.30, I think. Yeah. They were yeah. overly nice. I think because I complained. guys, yeah. Did, did they give you loads and loads of food at the end? Oh, yeah. Like desserts after dessert after dessert. Yeah, and they just like, kept bringing it out. You're so full up. You're like, what the hell? Yeah. And you felt really rude because you're not eating it. And it's like, oh, my God, all this waste. Yeah. <laughs> Good food, though, yeah. Yeah. I thought you've already done it. So right. We'll have to do it again. Yeah. I didn't go last night, so I'm did. there now. I've never, I've never had a good curry in America. Really? No. Maybe in New York. Actually, New York. I've had a couple of good ones. You guys are uh, spoiled here. Yeah, you are. Yeah, I have like 100 within two miles of my house in London. So maybe not 100, but quite a lot. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. All right. Well, Philip, thanks. Thank you. Cheers. Cheers. Rob, we made something called Surreal Retouching with Kelly Robitaille. What, we did not. Me th- yeah, we, we did. did. Walk me through what is that tutorial? Well, that tutorial, Kelly has developed her own really and truly signature style. Um, where she takes portraits and then she really makes them unreal. 
so they are surreal. There's a, a whole. It's like, it's like Tim Burton came in, like got. It's in... like Tim Burton got inside your camera. Tim Burton drew on your CCD, and boom, this it's is amazing. what comes out. If you want to learn how to make a little bit of a different portrait, go to go to ProEdu.com. You can stream it. You can download it. It's called Surreal Retouching with Kelly Robitaille. It's it was one of our best tutorials of 2018, and continues to be in 2019. Hey, look at that! Boom! It's timeless then. Pro EDU is now unlimited. Get access to every single tutorial. Sign up at proedu.com today. I'll take comfort in that. This podcast is officially over. See you next time. Never stop learning.